My wife and my two kids and I had just moved into this house. For a little background on this house, it was the mid-1990s, and it was a single-wide mobile home that sat on four acres of land just outside of the city limits. The home had a newly built two-car detached garage and a shop building adjacent to the left side of the house. The property was mostly on flat land in the front, but the side lot and all the backyard was woods, which was also my property. There was one rundown house that sat on the other side of the woods that was about an acre away from my wood line. There was also an older lady that lived about two acres to the right, but she was never home, so there was really never anyone around to really bother us. Now that you get the layout of my property, here's what happened. My cousin David came over to hang out with us and to show us off his new pistol that he had bought. Since we live out in the country, it wasn't unusual for us to go out in the backyard and let off a few rounds. But at this time, it was during COVID and ammo prices were sky high and were also so hard to find, so we didn't really shoot that much, if at all. My wife and I needed to run into town and do some household shopping. David agreed to stay back and hang out with my son Charlie, who was 10 years old and play video games. Now, we had let our son stay home all by himself all the time, so David wasn't really babysitting. But with what happens next, I'm so glad someone was there with him. It's now about 3 in the afternoon. My wife and I are just getting back from shopping, and as I pull into the driveway, David comes rushing out of the door and up to the trunk, and then says, So Charlie was playing outside, but he came running inside his room screaming and crying hysterically. I don't know what happened, and I can't get him to calm down. My wife and I looked at each other. My wife then said, I wonder if he got hurt. I'll go check up on him while you guys unload the truck. As we were unloading the truck, David tells me, So look, man, I don't think he got hurt. And between breaths while crying, he said something about a man. I stormed into the house, leaving David with the bags from the truck. I could hear Charlie screaming as soon as I opened the door. After we got him to calm down, he then told us something that no parent ever wants to hear. This is what happened. Charlie was playing his Xbox in his room while David was playing my PlayStation in the living room. Charlie then decided that he wanted to go outside and play for a while. Charlie was wandering around the side lot throwing sticks and rocks and just being an overall regular boy who's just having fun outside. Charlie was standing on the side lot about 60 yards from the front door. He bent down to pick up another stick to throw into the woods when he then saw a man crouch down in the bushes. Now, I own the entire wooded area, so no one should ever be back there. As Charlie started screaming and took off towards the door, the man tried to run after him, but he got caught on some branches, and he then fell back, then getting back up, then running in the opposite direction. Now look, I know the kids make up things all the time, but the look of sheer terror on his face as he told me this was enough to send chills down my spine, and I knew this was serious. My wife was freaked out. I yelled out in loud anger, I'ma get this motherfucker, I promise. I ran to my room, and I grabbed my 9mm pistol from my nightstand, and then out the door, and to the woods I went. 
My cousin and I spend two hours walking the woods looking for this piece of shit, my blood boiling with each step. We eventually gave up and went back to the house. I was really worried that at some point during the night, this guy would try and break in. Well, nighttime came, and Charlie was having a very hard time sleeping. After all, he was really terrified of the man in the bushes. He then laid on the couch, and I shut off all the lights in the house. I grabbed my AR-15, and I went and sat on the front porch with my dog in the dark. About an hour later, I noticed my dog staring in the same direction. It was the same direction that Charlie pointed to where the man was crouched down at from earlier. The fur on his back was sticking straight up. Right at about this time, I started to feel nervous. Just as I looked over to grab my rifle, my dog took off running full sprint and also growling towards the woods. I took off after my dog in the woods. Once I got there, my dog was now wrestling with something in the bushes, thrashing around and growling. I pointed my rifle at the bush, and my heart was pounding so hard that I started to sweat. I just knew right then and there that my dog had got a hold of the bastard who tried to snatch my son. I yelled at my dog to bring him out. As I was yelling and cussing at the man, my dog then came out of the bushes, shaking his head with something in his mouth. Well, as it turns out, it was just a damn raccoon. I'm not gonna lie, I was really thankful because I really don't know what I would have done next if that would have been the guy. I will say, however, that we've never had another sighting or incident like that again. For weeks, I would go out there and patrol through the woods before bed and lock every door and window. Charlie still has nightmares about the man in the woods. We never did call the police or make a report because Charlie couldn't make out what the man looked like. We eventually moved about a year later. this happened last weekend. I keep doing stupid things that turn out to be quite dangerous. I guess the upside to this is that I find myself creating some good content for your channel. So it was this past weekend on Victoria Day, and it was a May long weekend here in Canada. My friend who I'll call Brad and I decided to go on a canoe trip down Wanapate River in northeastern Ontario. I've never been down this section of the river before, and I've really been itching to explore that section for years. The problem is, is that the water was still cold, as our snow had just disappeared about a month ago, and the water level was way too high due to the unusual amount of precipitation we had this past winter, and it made the rapids much more dangerous. We decided to start from the Coniston Power Generation Dam. When I met up with Brad, I was really surprised to learn then he decided to do the river in his kayak, and not ride in my canoe. This had made me concerned, as he had a fishing kayak, definitely not made for whitewater river travel. I tried to convince him to leave his kayak behind and get in my canoe, but he refused. As we launched to the bottom of the dam, the current was very strong, and we had two-foot waves. I easily navigated down that part, I did have cold water splashing in, but I really enjoyed the rush. For me, it was rough, yet safe. However, for Brad, that wasn't the case. He managed to go down three quarters of the way and then flipped. His equipment was safe, as it was strapped onto his kayak properly. 
I just paddled to his kayak, held it for him, and helped him get back in. He had lost his paddle, and I'm pretty sure his body then went into shock. He felt nauseated, and he was white as a ghost at this point. We went to the bank to let him warm up in the sun, and also eat a few snacks. I once again tried to convince him to leave his kayak behind. I then told him, Look man, we're not that far from the truck. We can put your kayak away, and you can hop in my canoe. But he just stubbornly replied back with, No, I want to continue. So I just handed him my spare paddle, and we continued. Because he was using a fishing kayak that is not made for speed and using a canoe paddle, it took us a long longer to reach our campsite. We got off the water around 7.30pm. Other than that, we had a really great day. We got to our campsite, set things up, gathered wood, and we even had steak for supper. After our supper, we then went to the tents for the night. When we woke up in the morning, the fly on my tent was covered in a thin layer of ice. We had heavy dew, and the temperature dropped to negative 2 Celsius, roughly about 30 degrees for my American friends. After packing up and eating breakfast, the sun came up, and the temperature quickly rose to 17 degrees Celsius, with the sun shining brightly. Once again, we had a great day. We had seen beaver, geese, ducks, martin fishers, blue herons, woodpeckers, hawks, and many other songbirds. The trouble started right after our second portage around the Megvities Power Generation Dam. Once again, Brad flipped his kayak. Lucky for us, the water seemed much warmer the previous day. Nothing lost. We knew that we would have moderate rough waters for the next two kilometers, which is about one and a half miles or so. So we decided to tie the kayak behind the canoe and have Brad in my canoe. This went great for about a kilometer until the river quickly narrowed down to roughly half of its width. Maybe 25 feet wide and the shore became rocky and steep and we could suddenly hear a loud roar of rushing water. The current was so strong that it was honestly impossible to stop at the one place where I could pull out to portage. I didn't want to risk getting sucked over whatever was coming sideways or backwards, as it would be the most dangerous thing you can do in a boat. So I straightened out the canoe, and I instructed Brad to paddle as hard as he could, then hope for the best with zero clue on where we were running to. Well, we fucked around, and we very quickly found out. A ten feet wide gap of rushing water, followed by maybe an eight foot drop. We literally shot right over a waterfall. The front end of the canoe went right in under the water, and we were tossed out. I normally don't have a very good memory, but from this point on, I remember every detail. Every thought that went through my mind of the event, step by step. I found myself getting sucked under the water, feeling my leg get banged up on something, and doing my best to hold my breath really hoping my PFD will bring me back to the surface. After about 30 seconds or so, I pop back at the surface and I managed to exhale and take another deep breath before I got pulled back down again, this time a little longer. I thought that I was trapped in a backwash and that I was truly done for good. Again, I popped out for 5 seconds and got pulled back down again. I contemplated opening my mouth and just swallowing the water, 
thinking it would take me out of my misery quickly, and how I was ready to give up. As I started to relax my body and accept my faith, I then had a vision of my eight-year-old son crying, and I heard my eight-year-old daughter then screaming, Dad, no! Don't go! And then, I popped back up on the surface. I saw that I was less than five feet away from a dry bag, and I knew that bag had matches, my first aid kit, as well as some food in it, and the keys for the truck. We would need that for our survival. I swam against the current, grasping for the bag, and I managed to get my hand on it. The bag provided buoyancy, and I used it to start swimming for the shore. My first four attempts to get out resulted in failure. I was grabbing onto rocks, but there were no cracks, and they were way too smooth to be able to grab and pull myself out. On my fifth attempt, I had felt a rock under my foot, and I managed to grab a branch, and I finally managed to get out. I was grasping for air, and I saw that Brad had managed to safely get to shore. The problem was is that we were at least 10 to 15 kilometers from the closest road. The surrounding forest was extremely thick, and there were lots of bogs and swamps. The only clothing we had was what we were wearing, and when the sun goes down, we get close to freezing temperatures. I saw the canoe and kayak coming my way, and I knew that if we were to get out alive, I needed to save those boats. Most of our equipment was secured to the canoe, and it was still inside. I jumped back in the raging water, and I grabbed the canoe, and I held on for my life. I then rode the Whitecap River for another 700 to 800 meters. At one point, my left shoulder hit a rock, and I thought I was going to get crushed between the rock and the canoe. But I managed to roll off the rock and held onto the boats. I honestly thought I was going to rip my arms right out of their sockets before I managed to get off the rock. I managed to keep holding on until I finally got to calm water. I used the last bit of strength that I had to swim the canoe and kayak to the steep shore, turn the canoe right side up, and empty most of the water, and pull out the food pack, and then I tied the canoe to a tree. Somehow my water bottle that was unsecured actually managed to stay in the canoe. My cell phone was in the food barrel and was still dry. I tried to call 911, but I had no reception. I took a small swig of water and collapsed for maybe 10 minutes. I then managed to get up, and I started to walk up the river looking for Brad. A few minutes into my walk, I saw some red. It was Brad's life jacket. He was combing the river bank looking for my body. He had lost one of his shoes in the rapids, but that bag that I'd managed to save had his camp shoes in it. I gave him some water, and I led him back to the boats. We both had lost our paddles, and we were really scared that there might be more rapids down the river. The GPS on the phone indicated the road was 12 kilometers away. We packed some equipment, and we decided to try and hike to the road. In less than 20 minutes, we had realized just how foolish of an idea that was. So we decided to find some big sticks and use it as paddles. Obviously, using sticks was going to make us a lot slower, I found myself using a 30-pound 10-foot log that had a flat end on it that could displace the water. My arms, muscles, and fingers were all sore from holding something so awkward. We were really lucky that the rest of the river was flat. I kept hoping to see someone in a boat fishing, but no such luck. We weren't out of the woods, 
Not yet. We only had 600 millimeters of clean water and a life straw. This saved us from dehydration. We still had to contend with being wet. We had nothing dry to wear, and the sun was going to set within the next three hours. And as I said before, the temperature was going to drop in the single digits again. I could see Brad shaking, and his speech was becoming slurred, and I could hear the despair in his voice. I just kept telling him that he was going to see his wife tonight, and to just keep talking. Roughly two kilometers in the bridge of Highway 537, we then spotted something in the water. We had found the wheels that we had used to portage his kayak, and less than five minutes later, I found my spare paddle, which then allowed me to paddle much faster, and it probably shaved 15 to 20 minutes off our trip. I then found my hat and tackle box, which was floating just below the surface. As I went to grab the tackle box, I saw air bubbles coming out, and it sank. Crap. $150 of equipment just gone. When we got to the bridge, it was past 8.30pm, and it was getting dark fast. To add to the misery, the temperature was dropping really fast. We had to walk 15 minutes to Brad's truck. I think that this helped Brad out, though. For the first five minutes, it looked like he was having a seizure, and he slowly started to walk better. We drove back to the bridge and retrieved our equipment. On our way out of there, we saw two cow moose and their calves. I was just glad they didn't decide to run on the highway, as Brad failed to see them until I pointed it out. I didn't get home until 1am that night. I was bruised up and still very sore. Brad cracked his ribs and had a huge gash on his inner thigh, but we made it home. I'm absolutely positive that if I didn't save those boats, I never would have made it home alive. In all likelihood, Brad's wife would have reported us missing that night, and I'm pretty damn sure the rescue crews would have found us dead of exposure. Thank God that didn't happen. My name is Hannah, and I'm 20 years old. This took place in January of 2022. I was with my friends Sam and Sasha at my uncle's ranch to help him out with the cattle and the horses because there was going to be a really harsh snowstorm in the night. So my two friends and I got to work and started taking the horses inside the barn. It was around 3pm when it started snowing. This was also the time when I was all alone in the field with the last horse because Sam and Sasha were taking the cattle inside. For some context. The ranch is located on a small hill near my rural hometown, and the property is surrounded by a private forest on two sides. The forest also belongs to my uncle. I was putting a halter on the horse when I saw on my left side a figure near the forest area. Reminder, it was also snowing pretty heavy at this point. I didn't think much of it because there were sometimes hikers, or maybe it was just an optical illusion. So I took the last horse with me, and I walked to the barn area. But I felt really uneasy the whole time, like someone was watching me from a distance. Now, I'm not easily creeped out by something, because I've seen so many things. But this particular situation, well, it sent chills down my spine. Due to the snow, there really wasn't much to see. So even though I looked around me, I couldn't see very far. 
all of the animals were taken care of. So we decided to get inside the house to warm up and also drink some hot chocolate. The snowstorm became more heavy during the early evening, so my two friends and I decided to stay the night. Sasha and I were in the basement getting the generator ready, just in case we had a blackout. I looked out the small window that wasn't fully covered with snow, and I saw for a split second a figure rushing by the lights of the house. Suddenly, Sam then said, Did you see that? He was just coming down to bring us some drinks. Sasha then asked what he meant, and then they both looked at me. Yeah, I definitely saw that, so I guess I'm not crazy, I said to my friends. We decided to get upstairs and talk to my uncle about it. It was completely dark outside at this point, and the wind was blowing heavy. When I got to my uncle, I noticed then he was a little uneasy. That was strange because he's an extremely chilled out person. I think there's someone on the ranch. He mumbles as he then looked out the window to the barn. I told him what I saw earlier, and we decided to check the cameras of the barn. Everything was normal, until we then switched to the only camera that filmed the big barn door, and we rewinded the footage to about half an hour earlier. We all stopped breathing, when we then saw a male person just standing there in the middle of a heavy snowstorm, and just staring right in the camera. His clothes looked dirty and old, and his face was just a skull with skin. He had no meat or fat in his face. It was like he was super anorexic or something. Suddenly, the person looked in the direction of the house and started running towards it. But the way it looked, it was unnatural. What the fuck was that? Sasha asked in a worried tone. I don't know, but I don't like crazy people on my ranch. My uncle said angrily. We got upstairs and outside on the balcony. My uncle decided to turn on the full floodlight in the inner courtyard. Suddenly, there was a blood-curdling scream that sounded like something died. And the next moment, this tall, skinny man sprinted from behind the house into the darkness, right in the direction of the forest, screaming like a wild animal. We were all just standing there in disbelief and just really creeped out by all that. Let's get inside and keep watching the property, my uncle said. I know that he was worried, but we really couldn't do much, and because of the snow... The police won't be here in less than two hours, and getting outside and looking for the men was way too risky. Also, sending the dogs out was not an option because of the snow. Well, around 10 p.m., we were all in the living room watching some TV. My aunt and Sasha looked at the cameras to check on all the animals. We all took turns watching the cams in the inner courtyard all throughout the night. The very next morning, my uncle and I went outside to check out everything. Suddenly, Sasha called us back to the house. Dude, oh my god, look at that shit! She almost screamed. The whole door from the outside down to the basement was completely scratched like when something or someone desperately wants to get inside. We all got the chills, and we went inside the house to call the police. Until they arrived, Sam and I decided to check the big gate to the barn where we had saw the person at last night. There was something carved next to the gate in the wood. It said, I know you're there, and I will come back. We both just looked at each other with absolute horror in our eyes. Around half an hour later, 
a police officer who's also a friend of my mom, came by. We told him and his colleague everything, and we showed them the footage. I was absolutely shocked when the officers then told us that they were actually on hunt for this man. Apparently, he had broke out of the mental hospital that was in the bigger town, around 15 kilometers away from us, and he had even broken into a house in the neighboring town. He also definitely had at least a knife on him, because that's what he stole from the house. This person is completely delusional and extremely dangerous, the police told us. We had a search around the property until the evening, but they never found anything. I will never forget the face of that man, that's for sure. Also, to my knowledge, they never did find the man, but I really hope he got the help that he very much needs. Hey everyone, I hope you all enjoyed these stories. If you ever want to submit your own, you can do so at southerncannibal.com. Have a good night, everyone. And remember, to always...